Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Welcome to Grace Crossing Church. My name is Josh Bertram. I'm the associate pastor here. So great to have you here this morning on this July 4th weekend. I guess it's this weekend or next weekend. It's very confusing with it being on Wednesday, but no matter what, we appreciate you being here, and I hope that you guys have a wonderful Fourth of July as we celebrate our independence as a country. We have just a couple of quick announcements. The first thing is that Pastor Gill is maybe in the air over, I don't know, the Mediterranean or the Atlantic or somewhere like that. I'm not totally sure, but he was in Egypt this last week teaching Egyptian pastors. He did not use hieroglyphics. He used, I don't know what he used, English, I think. He didn't, I don't think he speaks another language. But he uh, was there. We appreciate your prayers. He's going to bring an update next Sunday morning. Also, tomorrow evening, we have one prayer uh, that is going to begin here at 6 p.m. 6.30. That's what I meant. 6.30 p.m. It'll go to 7.30 p.m. And it will meet in the community room. Also, just very quickly, Intersect will not happen. That's the... Uh, our youth ministry will not happen today at the church. It will actually be at my house, yay, for a barbecue. So if you want more information on that, please come see me afterwards, and I can get you that info. I have a son. Many of you know my son or have seen my son. It's kind of hard to miss him when he's jumping off stage and doing, you know, like karate moves. He's in Taekwondo now, which I'm not sure was a great idea. Because, like, it's supposed to make you disciplined, but he's just really good, getting really good at punching. And he's, like, at a really inconvenient height, if you know what I mean. And so, I don't know. But either way, he is awesome. He's great. And, you know, every single night, Malachi will wake up during the night, almost every night. And he'll come into bed and snuggle with Ashton and I. He'll come in. You know, I'm too tired to put him back. Anyone else been there? Like, I know I should put him back, but I don't. Uh, maybe I shouldn't, I don't know. But he comes into the room every single night. And then before bed, we have this routine where we read books together, and we play, and he always wants me to wrestle with him and throw him, and he's such a boy, you know, he just wants me to beat him up, essentially. Um, and we have a ton of fun. I tickle him, and I give him 100 kisses, and I put him in bed. Now, it's so, it's super cute. I love doing it. It's a great experience as a dad. Malachi's four. If he was 34, it wouldn't be as cute of an experience, you know? It probably hurt, and I'd probably have a lot of bruises, and it would just be creepy and weird, you know? And, and the reason for that is that you know, it's appropriate when Malachi's four, because he's a little kid. But in 30 years, when I'm in my 60s, he's in his 30s, it's not going to be that cute. Because there's some maturity that Malachi needs to go through, right? That's what you expect. You don't expect your son who's four, uh, when he's 34, to act like he's four. You're really hoping that that stage goes, right? That's what you're kind of hoping, at least for me to Malachi. Now, believe it or not, there are some people who either because of something going on within their brain or intentionally are in a state of arrested development. This a great show. You shouldn't watch it. I'm just kidding. Um, they're in a state of arrested development. 
And actually, there's an example I want to show you of what it would look like for someone to not be able to get past their immature, even baby or toddler stages. Check out the screen. I think about acting like a baby every day. I'm proud to be an adult baby. For me, it's, it's a big part of my life. It's something you can go to bed doing. I mean, you can role play in your head. I like to have a bottle each night when I go to bed. And gotta have my pacifier. Stanley might be 31 years old. But for the past 18 years, he has gone to remarkable lengths to remain young at heart. Very young. An adult baby is somebody who gets satisfaction by dressing or acting as a baby. I either like to put on my crib toys or my mobile and let them play as I fall asleep. And he doesn't just talk the baby talk. He dedicates every aspect of his existence to the bubbly, messy and magical lifestyle of an adult baby, spending up to eight hours a day role-playing as a toddler. I warned my wife that I was going to play that this morning. I was like, you're going to be so. Can you imagine being the person that was supposed to, like, keep a straight face while you're talking about this, you know? And it's like, after a stressful day, Whatever his name is, comes home and acts like a baby. You know, it's like, that's so weird. I'm not a psychologist. Neither am I trained in psychiatry. But that guy's got issues, right? I don't know. That was the most politically correct way I could say it. You know, there's something so striking about that, right? Because you're not supposed to see a 31-year-old man acting like a baby. And the reason for that is that we know intuitively that people grow. We know intuitively that there is a certain process of maturing that needs to take place. And we understand this physically. We get it. It's very obvious to us when we see an example of someone who is not acting their age. We need to mature physically. And you know, we are not just a physical body. We've talked about this many, many times, and we're going to keep reinforcing this because it's such a foundational point and so important for us to understand this, that we are souls with a body. We are embodied souls. We have a spirit and a life within us that is in some ways, at least on this earth, during this time, in this physical place that we have right now, there is an inseparability of our souls and bodies. And when they do separate, that separation is so Severe and intense, we call it death. And it's an awful experience and an awful reality. We are souls with a body. And we've been in a series called Grace Anatomy. And this is all about the fact that the church is the body of Christ. 
this is the imagery. It's the terminology used consistently within the New Testament. Within those, especially the letters of apostles, people who started the Christian church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, they sent letters to many different cities in that ancient time, and they would use the imagery, the terminology of a body. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it's kind of our theme verse for this entire series. It's called, Now You Are the Body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Paul is writing to this church in Corinth and saying, you are one body. You are a functional unit, just like your body is the physical structure It's the functional unit that your soul uses to navigate this world. So the church, the people within the church, the individual parts within the church, they all form together one body, the physical structure, the functional unit inhabited by the Holy Spirit, God's very spirit. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who empowers and connects and aligns the different parts of the body, and the Holy Spirit who gives each part, you and I and everyone that believes in Christ and has a relationship with Christ, they have a function, a purpose, a deep interconnection, an interdependence on the body. We've talked about many things from the body healing itself, the needs that come, that we all have a part that we play within it. And now what I would like to do starting today and for the next few weeks, is talk about the concept of maturity. Growth is natural. When something isn't growing in the way that it's supposed to grow, we start to look for abnormalities. We start to look for disease or pathology or something that is outside of the norm. And the reason that we do that is because we understand what a person is supposed to look like. Now, not what every face is supposed to look like, not necessarily every little intricate detail. We all are very different, and yet there are certain clearly identifiable characteristics where someone can say, look, and say, that is a person. They're a human being. And that, those characteristics are built and imprinted and encoded at the deepest level of us physically, within our DNA. And as we develop, my wife Ashley's pregnant, so I'm reading a book on pregnancy. Yes, I'm doing it. It's kind of awkward sometimes, but it's awesome, all right? And I'm reading about development. And that fetus, the moment of conception, is a person. It's got human DNA. And it is already determined to be a male or a female right there with the X or Y chromosome. And so as you look at this, there are clearly distinguishable and characteristic parts and features that we can say that is a person. Even though there are so many different varieties and nuances and different ways that people look and act and think and all of that, yet we see them as people. And the reason we see them as people is because we've come to recognize what it looks like. 
when someone is a person, even what it looks like when someone is a baby in the first developmental stages after birth, all the way up to when someone is at the point at which they are going to enter into the next life and exit this one. And from all the way from beginning to end, we can see them and recognize them as a person. Now, if that is the case physically, and we are souls with a body. And all over the Bible, it uses the analogy, it uses the metaphor and the imagery of a body to be instructive, to teach us about the nature of our souls. What that means is that our souls are born, brought into existence, and then they begin to go through a process of development. And there are certain things that are key, characteristic, that you can look and say, this is a person in the early stages of this development, and then this is a person who has reached maturity. Because built within our very structure is a blueprint, a design, that no matter who you are, if you are a person, these things are going to be true about you. And the scripture tells us that we were dead in sin, corruption, disobedience to a good creator that gave us everything that we needed. But Jesus and the Holy Spirit, at the command and mission of the Father, has come into this world, and that Holy Spirit brings a new life housed within this body that is subject to corruption and decay, that is under the consequences of sin and disobedience. But it's a different soul. It is a new life. And that new life undergoes a process of growth. And it will naturally do that. We don't have to make that happen. We just need to place this soul within an environment that is conducive for growth into an environment that makes growth happen. When I have had my children, we didn't sit there and leave them alone to fend to themselves. We gave them what they needed, and then they grew. And there is deep within us a design. And just like within all of our DNAs, we are going to be like the DNA of a, of, a, of a little fetus that grows into a fully formed adult human. There is a design. There is a blueprint there. It's the same thing for us spiritually. Paul was writing a letter. Paul is an apostle that persecuted the church, hated Christians, had an unbelievable salvation experience where he experienced and saw a vision of Jesus and it changed everything in his life. Paul was a great missionary and he was writing a church, writing a letter to the church in Rome, the capital of that ancient empire. He had never been there and he's writing to them, and it's in a book that we call Romans. It is an unbelievable book. I recommend you go and read it. 
But there's this part within Romans right around the middle where Paul begins to talk about the fact of what Jesus has done that people who know Christ are no longer under condemnation. They are no longer under God's wrath because God had to judge sin. Because sin is awful. Because sin destroys what's good. Because sin takes the beautiful thing that God has made and created and it, and it puts it under stress and corruption and actually goes to the very core of it and distorts it. And God had to deal with that and he dealt with it through Christ who came and was our sacrifice. Sin had to be dealt with. And so Jesus came, he performed that sacrifice that we couldn't do. He paid back what we could not pay back. And as a result of that, when we come to know Christ, when we enter into relationship with him, what he did for us benefits us. It would be as if the president of the United States, what he does with foreign policy and what he does with anything else affects us. He is our representative to other countries, whether we like it or not. And what the president does affects what we do. And so what Jesus did, we get to have the benefits of. We are not under condemnation. And yet, we live in a world that is ravaged by sin. It doesn't take much thought to see it, does it? How terrible things can be. And Paul knew this. And he writes to this church in Rome. And it's one of the most famous verses in all scripture. Actually, you might actually know it when you see it. It's Romans 8, 28 through 30. And it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be, pay attention here, conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So here's what Paul is saying. God is working everything for good. He is at work, taking all of the situations of life and in his amazing power, bringing them to a culmination where everything will be made right. And part of what that means is that in our life, as we move in the ins and outs of this world, going into the situations that we uh, get into, whether it's at the PTA meeting or whether it's at work and our argument that we just had with the boss or we got stressed by the amount of work that we have that's crushing our sorts in the disagreements of, with, with our wife where we feel like we're justified and they're not, we got to work things out or it's in the times when we lose someone. That in everything all the situations we face as children of God in relationship with God, we are going through a growth process. And God uses the situations and people of this world to take his children on a process of growth and maturity and guess where the end is? It's to look like Jesus, to be in his image. That's actually the same word that is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, where it says that man and, and female, man and woman, were made in the image of God. 
God is actually taking us through a process to look like Jesus. So in the same way that our DNA has a blueprint that creates who we are, affected by its environment, certain characteristics happen, certain things come about. In the same way, we are in an environment where God is taking us and moving us through all the situations of life in order to be like Jesus, because Jesus has become the blueprint. Jesus is the design. He's the one that we all share the internal DNA, so to speak. And one day, God will take this eternal DNA, this thing that's growing within us, our spirits that are eternal, that will live past our bodies, and he'll actually give us another body. And that body will look like and feel like and be like the body of Jesus Christ. It says this in Philippians 3, 20 and 21. It says, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak. Ever feel weak? Ever hurt? Ever wish that your body was different? He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Essentially, we have now, if we know Christ, an eternal soul within us, and yet this eternal soul is housed in a finite body, a body that will die, a body that will be corrupt, a body that one day will return to dust, And so there's a mismatch. Our old souls used to fit this body, but we have new souls. And it needs a new body. And so God's going to bring an eternal body. One free from disease, free from pain, free from hurt, free from all the things that torment us, that make life difficult. And yet, we're here in the meantime. And the things that God is doing are putting us on that path to that end. One of my favorite quotes is from a book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is keeping the end what? In mind. When you begin something, you keep the end in mind. Well, God has clearly laid out an end. We are eternal people. And he will give us a body. And yet, we have to live in this world as long as God has us. And we can trust that the situations that we're entering into are situations that God has already seen and that he is going to use to shape us, to be like him, to be like Jesus, eternal, perfect, in complete unity with God, needing for nothing, lacking nothing. This whole process of maturity is crucial. It's huge. It gives a perspective on everything else in life. See, God wants us to grow. 
And not only does God want us to grow, he will cause us to grow. Think about the things that you wish were different about yourself. Just think about them for a second. I've got a long list. And yet every single one of those things God is aware of. And he's not only aware of those things, he's aware of the things that cause those things and then the things that cause the thing that cause those things. And God knows what to do to bring us into situations that will make us dependent on him, trust in him, move towards him so that we can become mature. He's wise and he can do it. But there are things within this world Two things in particular that if we're not careful, they will stunt growth. They're like growth killers, man. They choke growth out. And you may be surprised when I tell you what they are. And just if you just give me a minute to explain them, I, th- I hope that you'll understand and agree, but, but they're all over the place. And actually, all of us have fallen victim to them at some point. And these things are legalism. And then legalism's close first cousin, judgmentalism. Now maybe you're thinking, what is legalism? Well, let me tell you. Legalism is essentially taking rules and laws that someone has given and then identifying those rules and laws with that person. So when it comes to God... Legalism means taking all the things, the shoulds and shouldn'ts, the do's and don'ts that are within the New Testament or all over the Bible and saying, okay, here's the list. Ding, 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 ding. All right, now I got to do this, check, do this, check, do this, check. Oh, I'm terrible here. Ah, I'm done. Oh, here, check, 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 check. And then as long as we are checking off the list, then God's happy with us. He's going to give us a lot of money and a model for a wife. I already have one. Thank you very much. And then we're going to live happily ever after. And all we got to do is check things off the list. Got to read my Bible. Got to go to church. Got to make sure I don't do bad stuff. Oh, man, I drank a little bit too much today. Well, tomorrow I'll read a little bit more of the Bible. Or, oh, man, I was kind of mean to my kid today. I'll give a little bit more. I'll go do some charitable work. Or I'm not that bad of a guy. Or, man, whatever it is. And it's rampant. And it's rampant back then. Paul addresses this in actually a different letter. In Colossians 2, 16 and 17, he says, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon celebrations or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. So Paul's talking about all these things within the law and here's the point that he's making. He's saying All of those things, those regulations, those things that you saw, yeah, God made them, and yes, they were a reflection of his heart, but they are not God, and following them does not replace a relationship with the living God. See, if I were to go to my wife, and I were to know everything about her, and I were to list all of the things she likes and dislikes, I'm sure she'd like that if I did that and remembered them all, you know. But if I were to go through those things and say, okay, I'm going to memorize this, all right? I'm going to memorize it. Okay, yeah, okay, okay. She, 
she, uh, she uh, doesn't like scary movies. Okay, I'm not going to watch this scary movies with her. Okay, I'm going to memorize. Okay, what does she like? Okay, she, she likes sweet tea. Okay, I'm the, okay, sweet tea. Okay, and I memorize everything about Ashley. But then I actually don't have relationship with Ashley. I actually don't really care about what's going on in her. I just want to make sure my life's easy. Or I want to make sure I can get what I want. And if I got to do that, then I'll just follow the algorithm, okay? I got to do this, and then after that, step two is this, and step three is this. Okay, we're good. And yet the entire time, what's happening, I am replacing a relationship with Ashley with a list of do's and don'ts. I cannot have a loving, personal, intimate relationship with a list. It is impossible to do that. And so Christ is the reality. What that means is that Christ is the one that we're to have relationship with. And everything, all the do's and don'ts, all of that stuff, all of that are just boundaries that God has made. Instead of you stay within these boundaries, you will be blessed. If you don't, then things will get hard in life because he understands how life works. But none of that, if you follow it, gives you a relationship with Jesus. The only thing that gives you a relationship with Jesus is time and communication and knowing him. Talking to him having experiences with him. Sure, those things are good to know and they will help you to please him at times. But you know what? A list doesn't forgive you. And a list doesn't have compassion and mercy on your weakness. A list doesn't look at you when you screwed up and you feel like you're at the bottom of the barrel and say, I love you, I accept you, you are still my son, you're still my daughter. You know, I have a ton of rules for Malachi. Sometimes if I had to enforce every single rule that I ever had in my mind for Malachi, we would have a really bad relationship. And so there are times when I just say, okay, it's fine. Or there are times when I say, yeah, you disappointed me, but I still love you. I'm here for you, and I will never, ever, ever leave you. A list will not do that. A list means we're trying to manipulate God into doing what we want him to do so we can get our selfish needs met, and that has nothing to do with actually having a living, breathing, working, growing relationship with Jesus. Legalism kills the growth process, because it, it changes and replaces a relationship with Jesus for a list of do's and don'ts, and that will never work. And you know what else it does? It actually makes us judgmental. It actually makes us judgmental on ourselves when we screw up, which we will inevitably do, and then other people. We'll be doing great sometimes. You ever been in this situation? Maybe you haven't you know, watch something you shouldn't watch for a while. You haven't been critical of your husband for a while. You've held your tongue. That's great. Or maybe you've eaten really well, and you're like, man, you just start looking at people, and you're like, oh, man, what's wrong with them? I can't believe them. They're losers. You wouldn't say it. Maybe you would. <laughs> but you think, oh, man, man, why can't, man, what's wrong with them? And then you eat that brownie or watch that thing 
or pop the pill or say that stabbing remark, then what happened? The weight of sin, the weight of condemnation falls on you. Because that's what a list does. You can't reason with the list. There's no compromise with the list. It's not a person. And so you either followed it or you didn't. You kept it or you didn't. You broke the law or you obeyed the law. There's only two things within a list. It's just a dichotomy, binary, input, output, input, output, yes, no, yes, no. And that destroys us inside. Because all the progress we've made is now destroyed because we have disobeyed once. Or we weren't perfect like we wanted to be. Or nothing was there like we thought it would happen. We thought we were better than that and then we failed. But yet, a person, that's different. Because a person, when Malachi or Noel, they screw up or they mess up or they drop something or they make a mistake or they even disobey, I know that they are in a process of becoming an adult. I know that I have to come to them and if I crush them, then they will not be able to grow. They will live in fear. And so I don't come to them and I crush them. I discipline them in, in the way that I need to. And if I do come to them and yell and crush, then I know I've messed up and I have to come to them in humility and apologize to them. But we have a perfect father. He doesn't come and crush us. He doesn't slip in his tongue. He doesn't mess up. He sees us exactly where we are and he knows where what we can be and where we can be and how we can get there. And so when we mess up, he doesn't come and say, okay, here's the list. Bam, you're done. Bam, you looked at that thing that you shouldn't look at. You thought about that person you shouldn't think about. You said that thing you shouldn't said no. What he does is he comes to us in compassion because he's a father. Because he knows that if we're gonna get here, that we have to go through a series of learning experiences. And as he disciplines us, like I do with Malachi, and I sit him in timeout, you know what I do? I go up and I hug him. And I say, I love you. Even when you do things that are wrong, it doesn't change how I feel about you. When we replace God with a list, we go to legalism and judgmentalism. Man, it kills our growth. Because a list doesn't grow people, a relationship does. A kid doesn't need an algorithm, they need a parent. And a parent loves them to maturity. Paul was dealing with people who were false teachers, false prophets. They're teaching something that was wrong. He was writing a letter to a church in a city called Colossae. And in this letter, just part of what we just saw, here's what he says just a few verses later. He's referring to these people who have, 
who began to go into legalism and judgmentalism, and they think that their experiences, they have higher insight, and they're better than other people, and he knows that's not going to grow them. That's going to crush them. And here's what he says in verse 19, referring to these people, he says, they have lost connection. Colossians 2.19, they've lost connection with the head. That's Jesus, with Christ, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. I love the way the NLT translates this. It says, for he holds, this is Jesus, he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. See, we don't need a list to mature. We need relationship. And we need a relationship with Jesus. The hand is nothing without the head. None of the body can function without the brain. And Jesus is the head. He's the one that gives life. See, a body without life is a corpse. We don't look at that body and have a relationship with that. We know, and it's an awful thing when we experience the death of a loved one. And yet we know when we see them in the casket, that's not them. We need life to be alive. We need the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit to be alive. And what does God do? What does he provide? He provides us with nourishment and he provides us with structure. He provides us with what we need. Food. Shelter, safety. Think about it for your emotions and your spiritual life. What we actually need is we need relationship with God. See, our emotional needs will never, ever, ever be satisfied by water. The need for you know, our loneliness will never be satisfied by water or food. There's something deeper it needs for us to even be able to survive and, and stop being so lonely or stop being so depressed or stop being so angry or stop being so impatient. We need a relationship. We need nourishment. We need to talk to the Father, to tell him what's going on. God, I've been struggling. I'm facing uncertainty right now. The future doesn't look that bright. And I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. I'm afraid I'm going to lose this relationship. I'm afraid I'm going to lose this baby. I'm afraid that I'm going to lose my life. I'm scared. I'm angry at my mom. I'm angry at my girlfriend. I'm angry at my boyfriend. I'm angry at everybody. I'm sad. I don't understand 
how to deal with this. It feels like it's too much. God, I need you. And as we talk to our Father, He speaks back to us. And He speaks in our heart. And He speaks that voice that isn't condemning, but it's the voice of love. And it's the voice of a Father. And He draws us into relationship with people that can help. And He draws us into relationship with His Word. So that we can go to His Word and we can understand that as He speaks to us, which means we need to be reading it course. Not because it's an obligation or something to check off the list, because that's where we hear most clearly and certainly the voice of our good and loving Father who can take those things within the Bible, within his word, and he can then assimilate them and start to move them in our hearts and help us see how they are a reflection of him. And they speak his words. And as we know his word, then we know, yeah, I'm not condemned, Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So I feel condemned right now, but that is not the reality. And I need the Father to help me. And then we have the structure of his body. The structure that can come and say, hey, buddy, we need to meet. And we're going to meet for the next five weeks, and we're just going to talk. You can just tell me what's on your heart. And I'm just going to listen to you. This is about needs being met. If you haven't been here the last two weeks, please go back and listen to the previous two on our podcast about getting our needs met. The body comes together and it provides structure for us. When we're struggling with weight and we're feeling down, we don't like looking in the mirror, the the body can come around and say, hey, I'm going to go on a run with you. I'm going to cook for you. I have a friend who, someone very close to me, is struggling in their marriage. And it finally got to the point, I felt so convicted. I, I, I went to him, I called him up, and I said, buddy, I love you so much. I am going to call a counselor, and I'm going to pay for your first session of marriage counseling. That had nothing to do with him being able to afford it. It had everything to do with stepping into a gap, a place where I saw it, and I I had to get his permission. And what happened was he ended up saying, you know what, you're right, and he just went and set it up himself. The Father will provide nourishment. The Holy Spirit will provide that comfort and peace, and he will do it in your relationship, your quiet time with him, the time you're talking, spending time, understanding, writing your heart out to him, hearing from his word, and he will do it through the body who will come to you and be that physical presence of Jesus. I can't tell you how many times that I have been really saved, in a sense, by this. One of my mentors is sitting in here right now, Pastor Life. He's an amazing man. I love you, Life. I love life, L-I-F-E, but I love you, L-E-I-F. I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting there in life and just, he's so, it just the simplicity at which he brings things to me is unbelievable. You know, Josh, I can't do your voice. But again, you know, Josh, sounds like you want significance. And I'm just like, yeah. Yeah. 
He's like, brother, sounds like you need acceptance. And I accept you. Man. Sounds like you need prayer. I'm going to pray for you. Right here, right now. God wants us to mature. It's not going to happen through the 12-step solution and algorithm that we all want. It happens in the messiness at times, in the uncertainty at times, in the give and take of relationship. Relationship with God, first of all, and primarily. And relationship with his body. So today, man, I hope wherever you're at, whatever it hit you, wherever this hit you, that you would talk to God about it. And then go beyond talking to God about it and text someone that you know is a Christian, loves God, mature person. Maybe they're ahead of you in that area and say, hey, I need to talk. God wants you to grow, and he has provided the means through himself and his body to do it. Father, thank you so much for the gift of maturity, the gift of your love, and the gift of your grace. And I pray that each one of us, as we feel the conviction, I'm feeling my own conviction about my own words. I mean, that happens so often as a pastor and and God, I pray that you'd help me and Pastor Life and Pastor Ashley and Pastor Gill to be models, the staff, Lydia and Debbie and JT to be models for the, for the church, that you help our leaders out there at the board and the elders and all the connection group leaders and everyone to just take this and, and, and not overwhelm ourselves but to take this and ask what the next step is. God, if it's time with you, that we would begin to bring some structure into it, that we begin to put it on the calendar, that we begin to take it seriously, that if it's meeting with other people, that we'd start to actually make some commitments, that we join a group or seek someone out or admit what we need and seek it, look for mutually reciprocal relationships and back and forth. God, because we know that that's what we need. So help us, help us do it, help us take it seriously. And God, we commit it to you in Christ's name. Amen, amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful 4th of July. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.